Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today, Lou Coppa and I discuss several listener questions about ski quivers, and then we talk about one boot quivers, which is something that a whole bunch of you have been asking us to talk about, frankly, for quite a long time now. So, good news on that front, but then even more good news because I am going to tell you about in this episode something that I think is truly game-changing in the world of ski boots. This is something that we can all look forward to because it's coming. And then from there, Luke and I talk about a number of skis we've been testing, a bunch of the apparel we've been testing, and some masks that we've been testing, and also some masks that we will soon be testing. And then, of course, we wrap by sharing what we're celebrating this week. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we have on tap for you today. Today's episode is presented by Survivor and their new Survivor Endurance phone case for the new iPhone 12. Now, as I've told you, I always have my phone on me when I'm riding or skiing, since we use these fancy little phones to shoot a lot of bike and ski photos and videos. And I've been using the Survivor Endurance case for three or four weeks now, and I still really like that it is a lightweight and pretty slim case that still offers a solid amount of protection for those inevitable crashes or phone drops that we all eventually have. And you can see the case and read more about my own experience using it on the Blister website, and we'll include links to my write-up in the show notes to this episode. And I'm going to add the photo that I took of Luke today, where he looks to be casting one very, very long shadow. You've known this all along, ladies and gentlemen, Luke Kappa, caster of long shadows. So check that out. And then, yeah, go protect that shiny new phone of yours. And now, speaking of Luke, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Mr. Kappa from Blister Headquarters in Elevation Hotel in Mount Crested Butte. Here we go. All right, Luke Kappa, we're back. Another episode of Gear 30. We have a lot of ground we're going to try to cover today. And so we're going to try to do the thing that we know we're not good at, which is we're going to try to move quickly through this. Mostly we're going to say we're going <laughs> to try to move quickly. Yeah. Mostly we're going to say how we're going to try to do that and then probably fail. But that's okay because I am in a good mood right now because we just walked in from skiing and it is just kind of incredible still how much of a mood enhancer skiing is for me. It's easy to get bogged down with the long work days and the rest. And then we go out there and we come in and I am very happy and pretty delightful, I would argue. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go as far as delightful, but yeah, it's it, it's like genuinely concerning to me how, how much my mood depends on skiing. Like it, it is like a drug, yeah. but this time of year, it's the fun part of a drug, basically. Yeah. Yep. 
There is one other thing contributing to our mood enhancement at the moment, and that would be this Georgetown beer that we are both currently drinking. Pretty cool story here, and it's something I'm actually quite proud of. We have a Blister member, Roger, who is the founder of Georgetown, and over the years, we have given Roger a good bit of ski advice. I know you've been having a lot of back and forth with him, and it was very kind and generous of him. He said, hey, guys, appreciate you know all the, the thoughts and input, and he's like, I'd love to send you some Georgetown beer. And so Roger sent this, and as you can see, I'm actually drinking Roger's Pilsner. That's the Roger. Um, so pretty cool. What do you have over there? I have something that I can't pronounce, but it's an IPA. And what did you? How did you think it was pronounced? I, well, you're covering up. It's Bodhisattva. I Bodhisattva. Believe. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I I like the Pilsner. I'm not normally an IPA guy, but I was pleasantly surprised by this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the few I would like choose to drink, <laughs> and it's. alcohol, which is (laughs) like a super cool percent alcohol, obviously. We better talk fast. (laughs) Plus, you also have to your right. I have one in the quiver. You got one in the chamber. I have the the Johnny Utah. Yeah. Which may get cracked later on, depending on how how poorly we live up to our goal of being brief. Being brief. Yeah. So, shout out to Georgetown Beer and shout out to Roger. And I had, I invited some, well, actually I invited in Crested Butte Royalty. Rob and Sydney were in and Jack was in. I had them. We went through all the different types of beer Roger sent. We all truly loved them. And I would tell you if there was any dissenting opinions there. So it's pretty cool to have a cool blister member out there putting out good beer to the world. When you, Rob and Sydney, did that then i came in the next day and i was like how the hell did jonathan finish like 10 beers and make it out of hq yeah uh, i was glad to learn that it was not just you it was not just me for sure so roger shout out and uh thanks and so good beer good day skiing things are good and let's talk about some gear luke cool well we're gonna kick it off with the stuff that we forgot slash just didn't manage to answer right. uh, in the last Ski Quiver podcast. So we got a few good questions from some listeners. First up, Jacob Carter Gibb asked, if you only get one or two days at the resort every year, what would be your one ski for those days? I was trying to think of what is the biggest novelty of riding in the resort that you just can't get in the backcountry. Big park jumps, perfect groomers, long lift lines, low avi danger. So what would your answer be? I mean... This is a hard question, but I definitely think that our very immediate past experience is factoring in here to my answer. But if I was only skiing backcountry and then only had one or two days in the resort, it has been a lot of fun just carving up groomers. By the way, I think we should say one of the things about skiing here at here in Crested Butte is we ski groomers every single run we ski. There isn't like a way, there's nothing you can ski here where like you just ski a mogul run all the way back to a chairlift and then right up again. So I think sometimes maybe when some people have been like, you guys, you know, 
don't spend enough time skiing groomers. Like we literally ski groomers every run just for some context there, but it has really been fun. And, uh, that's what I think I would do. You know, I'd probably, if I only skied the backcountry, I'd probably have my forefront Raven as my go-to backcountry ski. So then when it was time to come into the resort for one or two days, I might want to just shred corduroy for a while on a skinny ski. Mm -hmm. That's my answer. Yeah. For me, like spring touring days, like on corn, I'll still get to like get that feeling of carving. For me, the resort is all just about skiing, being able to ski really fast and jump off stuff without thinking about the fact that I have to go walk back up Mm -hmm. or that like I just spent yeah half an hour walking to get to that point yeah so i would get something really heavy and i want to say the black ops 118 the rosin old black ops 118 because low lo, like lack of avi or lower avi danger is also a factor but i feel like if i was only skiing a day or two in the resort i would want to go as fast as possible and the black ops is really good for that so yeah that'd be my answer okay uh next question from Jocko, and he said, how do you start building the larger quivers? Example, three or four or five skis. Do you immediately lock one to two skis as the cornerstones and then select the complementing skis? Answer, maybe, but I just immediately kind of go to like, where am I skiing? And that's why I think if my answers in the way we did our quivers, our own quivers, it was like, well, we're skiing Crested Butte the most, but like just automatically my brain is going to like, well, where are most of my days going to be? Let me know that. And then tell me how many skis I get. And so I don't actually think that I have a single ski that is going to serve as an anchor. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you think? Like when I was in college before working for Blister, I started off with one ski that I thought could do pretty well in the resort. And then I bought a backcountry ski that I thought could do pretty well in most conditions yeah. and then built around there. So yeah, that's how I, I would personally think about it is just like if I was starting from one ski, I don't want to hate certain conditions yeah. while I'm waiting to be able to add another ski to the quiver. So I feel like as I build a larger and larger quiver, I can add more and more specialized skis, but the first ones will be focused on versatility. And then I can add some more uh, specialized options. And someone else had the question that you and Paul discussed about like, if you, if you didn't work for blister, how many skis would you have? And like when I first started skiing, I was like one ski, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But at this point, and especially if I'm skiing as much as I do now, I I feel like I would do whatever it took, like just be on Craigslist and new schoolers yeah. all the time looking at used skis to have at least at least four. I think two two backcountry skis and two inbound skis, just given what I do. Um and I feel like staying on top of the used market, I would eventually work myself into like a ten ski quiver just because <laughs> it's like it's really fun to ski weird different stuff. Um, I think Paul, Paul is talking about like Paul has like, he had like 10, 130 plus underfoot skis at one point or something (laughs) like that. So yeah. 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 Uh, it's also from Jocko. Has there been one ski introduced during the last two to three years that has substantially changed how you think 
of how to put together the three or four or five ski quiver. Example is a, a ski with a really wide sweet spot, giving room for some more niche skis or some unique ski that is just so damn good at that one thing that it is clo- that is close to your heart and skiing style. What's what's your answer? You go first. Okay. Well, yeah, there there have been a few. Um, the Black Ops One Eighteen was one of them. Like I, I to answer that second question, like I think there are a ton of like versatile skis that I could get along with fine, but the ones that have changed how I think about a quiver are the ones that are so much fun to me personally that I feel the need to compromise on other fronts to make sure they're included in the quiver. And that's the black ops 118 and the line Sir Francis Bacon. And now the K2 reckoner is kind of like almost interchangeable with the bacon. But yeah, those skis, like they're, they're just so much fun to ski for me that I, I will, yeah, make a lot of compromises, work pretty hard to make sure that they're in my quiver. It's interesting, right? I don't know that there is, I, now I'm thinking about this in terms of like the anchor skis. I'm trying, while you're talking, I'm thinking through at various different widths and different applications. I'm not sure that I think there's one ski anymore that is so unique standalone in terms of what it does that for me, it's like there's always at least a second option Mm -hmm. that I could get along with pretty well. But I think for you, I mean, like for me, obviously, the 190 centimeter Bibby Pro slash Blister Pro has been that kind of anchor ski. And then things got lighter and we're working on it. And so I've been super happy with a Black Ops. But if we bring that blister pro back around then it's back into like i really like the black ops and i really like the right version of the blister pro is it cool to that's okay luke won't be mad if i call yeah, it the I'm right sure version of the blister pro. Mad at all right sorry luke i don't know in a way kudos to like the ski industry i think there are a lot of good models out there and then again what we do is just try to make sure that we're making clear to people why you might go with this model as opposed to this other model. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I'm more versatile than Luke. Luke's the stubborn, picky. Luke's the picky one. Yeah, I, I mean, like all this. the other skis, I could get along with a lot of options. And I also really like the light Wildcat in a 1 4 It's really fun. Can't stand you. <laughs> okay. What do we got? Where are we going? Uh, do we, so we talked a oh, lot boy. about ski quivers for the past month um but we i think recently we got the question about boot quivers not Um, not a question yeah we got this this is admittedly shout out to the blister audience because y'all have been pretty adamant and relentless on this one asking about the one boot quiver and so you we've broken in we've given in you broke us yeah we're We're, working on it we're gonna do it we're doing it and let's kick things off so actually no how about i keep talking sure um honestly i hate this idea so much this is that's really the reason why we've never done it it probably does come down to that i guess i'll put this question to you but i would rather i guess have one ski and two boots 
than two skis and one boot. Like I've been pretty staunchly opposed to the one boot quiver. Are you in agreement or no? I th- yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Like the difference to me, like a touring boot, like a dedicated touring boot can walk a lot better and be a lot lighter. J- basically just makes a bigger difference than getting like a, I don't know, like 50-50 boots, ironically, like I skied what is considered a 50-50 yeah. boot as my inbounds boot. I didn't tour on it very much. Um, but so I'm not like so opposed to that, but I feel like I would notice more of a difference by having two boots than having two skis. And it's funny on our one ski quiver, I think you and I ended up in largely the same, we had the, pretty much the same answer, Fisher Ranger 102 mm-hmm. FR bit of a question of whether to put a Duke on it or to, a Duke PT on it or to put a shift binding on it. But if you gave me, I went with the Ranger plus shift. If you gave me my beloved head Raptor 140 RS to use inbounds, and then I transitioned over to my beloved Technica Zero G Tour Pro to skin, I'm, I'm not mad at life. But so now... And, and what would your, do you have a current two favorites on the boot front? If you went to two boots with that one setup Ranger I'm, plus. I'm a bit in between boots yeah. right now. So my Nordica Striders finally broke about two weeks ago after what I think is over 200 days of skiing. Um, but the, anyways, the walk mechanism snapped and no longer goes into ski mode. So it's kind of hard to ski like that. Anyway, Trying a few Alpine boots. Uh, right now, I've been skiing the Technica Mach 1 130 MV uh, and really liking how it skis. My feet are notoriously terrible to fit boots because yeah. I have a really... Because God hates you. Yeah. Yeah. Low volume ankle, low instep, skinny calves, very high volume forefoot. Um, so not many boots offer that combination out of the box. But anyway, that boot, I'm really liking it as an inbounds boot so far. I'm curious to try it with a booster strap, and I'm curious to have some work done, hopefully by our reviewer slash boot fitter, Kara. Kara's the um, best. Yeah. So anyways, that's that's currently leading as my inbounds option. And then if it fit my foot, the Zero-G would easily be my pick, but it doesn't um, because of aforementioned weirdness with my feet. Uh, so I would go with the Atomic Hawks, prime xtd 130 boots have too long of names these days but um yeah I, I i toured in that boot all spring and summer last year it's not super light compared to a zero g or a mastrali or whatever but i mean i did like some 12 hour days in it yeah. with a lot of walking and skinning and didn't really bother me and it skis great and it fits better than any touring boot i've used that walks that well and skis that well so those would be my pretty pretty easy choices right now, but maybe my Alpine boot choice will change or if Technic just wants to make like a custom Zero-G just for my feet, that would probably win. Hey, Luke, you want to know how I know that God hates me less than he hates you? Because your boot feet fit in everything? Yes. Just wanted to make sure we had that on tape. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of thinking about the fact that I am, I've finished my Pilsner and oh, I may I, grab an extra one. Well, I'm in a minute. I'm going to run to the back and grab another one, but I won't do that yet. 
I'm going to find a topic that you can talk about that I don't care about. So I already have something in mind. But so did you answer the question yet then to the the one boot? Oh, one boot? Yeah. I would just go back to my striders. Okay. Yeah, they, they walk well enough and I'm perfectly happy skiing them in the resort. I might bump up to the 130. I've been skiing the 120 the whole time. I like its forward flex a lot. It's the one drawback with that boot is it's the rearward flex is not great um, compared to a rigid boot. But yeah, I mean, I, I know the strider will fit my feet. I know I love skiing in it and I can deal with skinning in it, but I would be pretty bummed during like the stupidly long summer days when we're just walking around for 10 hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I ski that boot inbounds all the time. So personally, I'm not as upset, but I feel like I'm a bit of an outlier probably. So for me, again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's true. I've kind of skipped this heavier 50-50 boot with a walk mode because I'd rather just ski a heavy, good, non-walk mode, alpine, dedicated boot inbounds. So I haven't been like, you know, reviewing a bunch of, of that category of boots. And I realize... I probably need to because for a lot of folks, that's precisely what they want to know. So my apologies. That said, of the stuff that I have actually skied, I think my answer would be the Lang XT3, mm. but I kind of want to cheat here. So that is my answer, stock setup Lang XT3. But then what I would probably want to do is experiment with using a ZipFit World Cup Gara liner in bounds. Mm -hmm. And I haven't done this yet because again, I'm a little bit dispositionally against skiing in bounds and boots that have walk modes. But if I could get, if I could cram a ZipFit World Cup Gara into that XT3, I do actually think it would definitely make the boot heavier and um, perhaps help with the suspension a bit. And I, I'm quite like, you know, the XT3, it's not the lightest boot out there. It doesn't have the most range of motion, but it skis well. And um, so especially if you let me cheat and put a zip fit in there, probably that is how I would roll right now. And I think, you know, we I will start taking my head out of the sand and taking a closer look at some of these sort of 50-50 options. And maybe I'll even ski one in bounds at some point. Yeah, we'll see. Speaking of boots, can I say something about boots that I'm really excited about? And I don't think we've actually talked about this anywhere on Blister yet. Sure. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Luke. I think this is going to be game-changing. I might not get every exact detail and fact correct about this right now. So, you know, forgive me if I don't. But here is my understanding of things. My understanding is that certain patents have expired on elastic power straps. Let's say ones that might resemble booster straps, which is to say my understanding is that all boot manufacturers now will be allowed if they desired to start putting elastic power straps stock on their own boots. 
okay, forgive me if some of those, I've, I'm trying to be a little bit vague on this to try to not be flat out wrong on some of this. I think this is game changing. And, you know, there are a number of really good low volume LV 130 flex boots out there on the market that I get along with quite well. But I think there is a reason why I have continued to go back and choose the Head Raptor 140RS. And that is, it comes stock with a booster strap on it. it. It has an elastic power strap. And my hypothesis here is that given that apparently God likes me more than Luke, and so I have a foot shape that works with a lot of 130 flex LV boots, I actually wonder if that elastic power strap has been one of the most significant differences when it comes to, say, thinking about a Technica Mach 1 LV versus a Lang RX 130 LV versus the Head Raptor 140 RS, which is actually a 130. And so this should be on your radar, people. And I have talked to some boot I have talked to some boot manufacturers who are very much aware of this, maybe have some plans for making their own elastic power strap. For me, I honestly think while it sounds simple, this is like one of the biggest developments in at least 130 flex LV boots. And maybe we can broaden out to say that many people are going to start getting boots with an elastic power strap. And if you have not formerly used a booster, I think your life is about to get better. Have Luke, do you think I have overstated things, oversold things? I, I don't think there's any way. Um, I mean, also, no one cares about uh, your stupid foot shape. So if we, you know, fit, this isn't going to, this isn't going to make anything fit you better. Yeah. I mean, you, ironically, the last boot I used or the last boot I owned with a booster strap was the one that so badly damaged my toe that I have a permanently deformed toenail. Um, it wasn't because of the booster strap, but oh. it was the old Dinafit Mercury and it had like that brick wall flex. So I put a booster on it and skied it one day in the resort. Toenail filled up with blood. That one fell off. Next one grew in wrong. That one fell off. Next one grew in wrong. That one had to be removed. And then the current one is just absolutely disgusting. But I'm glad your life is easy with your super easy stupid, wood. simple feet. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know. I, th I think it'll be like, it'll be nice to have stock booster straps or elastic straps. I don't think it's going to change everyone's lives because I feel like, I mean, I, I feel do. like the people, the people who know about booster straps, like already buy them. Like they're only 45 bucks. I don't, I don't think that's true. I, I think that we're now assuming that companies, if they're making their own stock elastic power straps, assuming they don't screw those up, I think there's a massive amount of the skiing population that has never put yeah. an aftermarket booster on. Yeah, I think there are a ton of people who have not, and maybe they'll have a better day on the hill because of it. But I think the the people who are like really trying to get the most performance out of their boots are already aware of booster straps. So okay, I so those the, I don't think it's those, gonna be world changing. Not a, not all of us only care about the one percenters, Luke. Yeah. 
I'm more of an that, everyman. That's me, the elitist. Right. Keep your elitism and your second beer. Mm-hmm. Well, I was smart and brought another one. I know. Um, let's keep it moving. That that took a while, but that yep, was worth it. Usual. I'm excited. Um, what do you want to talk about? Should we talk skis? Yeah, we've been skiing a lot of them. Yeah. Um, let's kick it off. Well, we, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but I mean, for the first two or three weeks, we actually up until two days ago, as of recording this, groomers were the only option. Yeah. And for the first two and a half weeks, I think it was all man-made snow up until the storm system this last weekend. Really? Yeah. I mean, basically like what we were skiing was all man-made. Now it's not. But anyways... The point is we were skiing a lot of carving skis. Did you have any like general or specific takeaways from that? Just that skinny skis are freaking rad and it's been great and it's been really fun. And especially like given this techie steep mountain, it's kind of nice to just get back and like, oh, we're skiing again. Let's try to remember how to carve turns and the rest. And I've really enjoyed actually being limited to groomers to start it feels like it's just like a nice natural warm-up because when this whole mountain pops well one things get scary and real interesting and all the rest and as we kind of keep saying that's why we don't just stay on 78 millimeter wide carvers all the time so i've really been enjoying it for people who have never skied anything narrower than 98 it's definitely not the case that you can't carve like a fatter ski. It's not just true. Ask Drew Kelly. <laughs> ask Drew Kelly. Ask Bodie Miller, right? Yeah. He was just talking about, you know, shredding a 118 underfoot ski. But um, it's really fun and really cool. And uh, so that is my biggest takeaway that I've really enjoyed, like having to stay on the skinnier stuff. That's my takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun time. I was mostly just trying to see like, how flat of a tail I could use to ski switch. Um, I mean, in addition to some other testing, but skied switch a bit on the K2 Disruption MTI, which has like one of the flattest tails uh, here. scary. Yeah. As long as you keep it on edge, it's doable. And I know that's the information that everyone is looking for right. for that ski. Right. Um, cool. Do you want to move on to a ski from Blizzard that... Yeah. No, you, I think you're going to want to talk about more skis today. So I feel like you should go. Okay. Um, well, a few comparison points on the much fatter end of the spectrum. Yeah. Been skiing the J skis hotshot. Um, and then also did a couple days where I switched out to the vocal Katana 108. Mm-hmm. I'm on the 183 centimeter hotshot and the 184 centimeter Katana. Uh, both skis are really good. They're both really stable, but surprisingly easy so far. I, the hot shot is definitely more up my alley. It's kind of a twin tip, not super stiff, has a good bit of tip and tail taper and a lot of tip rocker and some tail rocker. Uh, but anyways, I've been getting along super well with it. It is really damp. It is very stable, but it's also really easy to ski. Like you can get away with really sloppy technique, which is very useful this time of year. And 
the past few days, it was mostly snowing during the day. So it was like nice and soft, but you couldn't really see like patches of chop and stuff. And having a ski that's not going to like buck you if you run into something you didn't see is really nice. And then skied it in some of the bump runs that recently opened the past couple days. Again, really liked it. Like it's not super quick. It's a very heavy ski. I do think the swing weight feels pretty light for how heavy it actually is, like especially versus the Katana, which is a pretty similar weight, but is like a minus 11 mount point or something. The hot shot's around minus seven. The hot shot feels pretty quick for what it is. And overall, I'm a big fan. And we're going to get Paul Forward's take on the 189 centimeter length, and then we're going to force him to send it back. I'm so mad at you about this because one... I'm preemptively mad at Paul because Paul's not going to send it back. He's going to have to send that one back. Okay. Paul, if you're listening. It's got a fish on the base that I need to take pictures of. Okay. Because I really want to, I can't believe I forbid you from sending a different ski to Paul, which we won't name. Uh, that was a fight on the chairlift today. But uh, if as long as Paul sends the 189 hotshot back, we're cool. If he doesn't, I'm coming to AK and I will find you. And oh. ski some pal. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, really like that ski. I have a flash review up of it. I'll be posting an update pretty shortly. Uh, the Katana, much more directional, yeah. but like just a super solid, smooth, stable ski. Also a phenomenal carver for how wide it is. Um, and so is the Hotshot, actually. Like I was surprised by how well that ski carves, even on super firm snow. So anyways, two heavy, stable skis that are also not like very hard to ski like i think the the bigger surprise for me was the katana like it it, like looking at the old pair of the 191s we have like it had the reputation for being this super burly charger but like it's a pretty easy ski to pivot around at slow speeds but feels really nice when you go fast here here's a really unfair thing i'm gonna say about the vocal katana 108 I'm currently having trouble getting real excited about it because I know that the vocal mantra 102 exists. And I just think, especially for this mountain, and especially because it's not like that Katana 108 is going to be like some great Powski, I just am not ready yet to be like, this ski's amazing because I just keep thinking about the mantra 102 and I would be. I, I'm not sure yet where I would take the Katana 108 over the Mantra 102. If it's a day where I would want to use one of these skis, I think right now I would still break for the Mantra 102. Agree or disagree? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I haven't been on the Mantra 102 in a little bit, but they definitely share a lot of similarities. I think the, well, I know I would, prefer to ski the katana in pow neither but i'm just i don't want to ski either of them in pow i feel like open like like i'd much sam and i skied the montrono too in like a late spring storm at a basin it's like it floats well for what it is like for a 102 like that's a benefit of the super fat tips and the super setback mount point but i don't know yeah i think it'll, it'll be interesting to skiing back to back and see i would say this this was a bit of a question i think we raised somewhere in the past i don't know if it was on a gear 30 or if we wrote about this if if the question is is the katana 108 basically a mantra 108 
I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I don't think that would be a super big stretch to yeah. say. There's a lot of family resemblance. If the Katana 108 was just called the Mantra 108, no part of us would have questioned that or been like, that's bizarre. It, it, it completely slots in. So if you already have your 98 to 100 underfoot covered and you're good there and you like the sound of the Mantra 102 or what we're saying about the Katana 108, that's where I think the ski would, the Katana 108 would make sense. Mm -hmm. That's what I have to say about that. Cool. All right, your turn. My turn. Blizzard Bonafide 97. Thank you. If I'm going to pronounce Blizzard incorrectly, I should at least throw on the last number of the actual ski. Seems only fair. Um, I do really like this ski. The thing that has been really interesting to me is I've actually been skiing the Bonafide 97 and the Solomon Stance 96 and kind of doing a bit of an A-B there. Punchline, not that similar of skis, I would say. The nutshell for people who don't really care about carving performance and are much more interested in terms of all mountain versatility, I think the Stance 96 probably is going to be the ski you are maybe more interested in when it comes to carving on especially the firmer the groomers get i think the more the bonafide 97 stands out you can just get that ski a little bit on edge and that shovel will engage in a way that the stance 96 doesn't i still think on a soft groomer that stance 96 is a ton of fun I think a lot of people might find the Stance 96 to be an easier mogul ski, quicker in trees and the rest. But that skier who really knows that he or she likes a really strong, powerful ski, that's more where I think they're going to move toward the Bonafide 97. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I got out for it, on it for the first time the other day. The Bonafide? Uh, the Bonafide 97, yeah. Um and yeah, I think it's a, it's a very good carver for what it is. It's not a ski I would own. Um, like, I feel like it requires more speed to really feel lively and yep. requires more work than I really want in bumps and stuff. But um, yeah, the Stance 96 and the Stance 90 that I've been spending a lot of time on, both really good all-mountain skis. And I would say, like you said, like if you don't care about carving, I wouldn't go that far. Like... Those skis can be fun to carve, but compared to compared a Bonafide to, right. or a Brahma, they're not, yeah, they, there's not a ton of instant engagement from yep. the tips. They don't finish a turn with as much power or precision, but I had a good time carving on them and I really like them off piece, especially the Stance 90. Like I, I haven't been on the 96 as recently. Um, I skied it like back when the full mountain was open last year, but the 90 has been a lot of fun. We have it in a 176 centimeter length. So a little shorter than I typically ski, but Carswell is energetic and is really fun. Once anything ungroomed opens like light in the air, pretty poppy. And the ski I've been comparing it to is the new, Armada Declivity 92 Ti, which shares a lot of similarities. They're around the same weight. The Declivity 
is a little more fun to carve, um, but both skis are a lot of fun and bumps because they're pretty light and really energetic and I their flex patterns aren't like super burly. I've just been thinking about them basically as like hot dog skis because I'm like, I wouldn't typically go for something that directional, but those skis feel like somewhat playful directional flat tailed skis if that's a thing. Um, so I've, yeah, I've really been liking those skis and looking forward to hopefully getting on the stance 102 later this season and the, hopefully the declivity 102 as well. Um, I think Butte and Co next door actually has one, which I might have to steal. We should steal along with the Armada stranger, which looks absurdly fun. Hmm. That's all I want to talk about personally in terms of skis right now. We talked about the Stance 90 and Stance 96. I agree mm-hmm. with I agree with what you've said and in the interest cuz I'm no one can accuse me of being long-winded. Should we talk about apparel or did you have other skis? I want to I want to just do some quick highlights on some other skis. Uh first off, we have two skis with DPS's new construction. It's called Pagoda Piste. You can read about it in our first look of the Pagoda Piste 100 C2. Um, But we now have the production versions of the Pagoda Piste 94 C2 and 90 RP. Long story short, pretty lightweight skis, somewhat typical of DPS, but I really like the shapes. Um, I think they both serve different purposes and it's pretty clear, uh, like clear demographic for each different ski. I do think for their weight, they ski quite well. 94 C2 kind of reminds me of the declivity a little bit, like a nice shape for initiates carved turns pretty well, but quite easy off piste as well. The 90 RP is a very different ski than most skis that narrow. It's got a lot of tip and tail taper, tip and tail rocker, and a pretty tight, I think it's 15 meter side cut radius. But I think for someone who spends a lot of their time off groomers on a ski that narrow, it's going to be pretty appealing. But anyway, I'm looking forward to testing those against some heavier options just to really get a grasp on that new construction. So wait, just to clarify, is it fair to say that currently we're thinking of the Pagoda 90 as almost being like a skinny Whaler 112? Yeah, yeah. Basically, how DPS is doing their shapes now is RP, I think it originally stood for resort powder, basically means more taper, more rocker, tighter side cut. C2, less taper, less rocker, longer side cut. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is, it does resemble the, uh, Whaler 112 shape. That's the orange ski back there, but like, obviously in a much narrower package in those, like the taper and the rocker is much more dialed back on the narrow ski, but yeah, yeah, you could kind of think about it like that. Quick inter- interlude for review. How how are you finding the Johnny Utah versus the Bodhisattva? Uh, I don't know. I'm not good at reviewing beer. I normally just drink PBR, but they're both good. <laughs> well, I want some words. Use your words, Luke. Um. Well, if I knew I was going to compare them, I would have kept some of the other one so I could... Sorry, you have to freestyle. This is your... This is live. I feel like Johnny Utah is a little bit easier to drink. It's a little lower ABV, more like a Sierra Nevada type pale ale than like a full-on IPA. Um, But they're both good. This is why we don't review beer. Wow. That's why you don't review beer. I just feel like buy PBR or Georgetown Brewing. Those are the only two (laughs) options. Oh, man. That was terrible. 
so two things you've learned. Three things. Luke's good at reviewing skis, terrible at reviewing beer, mm-hmm. and has super weird messed up feet. Yeah. That's what we know about you. That was three things. Um, next up, last ski I want to talk about, Renown Endurance yeah. 88. Yeah. Was just on that this afternoon. Um, essentially, it's a narrower Endurance 98, which we've reviewed in the past. But the Endurance 88 also has some metal in its construction. It is actually heavier than the 98. Um, but the shape and rocker profile are really similar. Anyway, per usual with Renown skis, it is different. It feels pretty soft and very easy at low speeds when you're not pushing it hard, but you can ski it really, really hard. It very much reminds me of the Endurance 98, but I think I actually like the 88 better. Hmm. I think it has a slightly tighter side cut radius. Um, I feel like it's a little easier to get on edge. It also feels more energetic to me. The Endurance 98, I thought it was like a pretty dead ski, be- probably because of the yeah the stuff that Renown puts in it. Um, <laughs> the stuff that... The they, blue stuff. Yeah. yeah the silly putty. Yeah. But anyways, super fun ski. Skiing a lot of bumps today. It is like, I would say, a very versatile ski. And the interesting thing about that and the Endurance 98 is that while the shape is not super conducive to carving, it's a pretty tapered and rockered design compared to similarly narrow skis. If you commit to driving it hard, it will dig its edges in so overall and it's like i think it's just under 2000 grams our pair for the 184 centimeter length feels really quick in bumps but renowns non-newtonian i think they're calling it vibe stop now it works like it, it, you can you can tell it feels way more stable than it should so yeah overall really fun ski and we've also been skiing their atlas 80 which we'll be talking about soon as well yeah they really should have named it the decently edgy vibe stop I think Folsom has that patented. They have DEV tech on the blister. They Pro. have dev tech, <laughs> but this would be devs decently edgy vibe. Stop. I feel like that. And then it'd be a war between Folsom <laughs> and renown. Yeah. I feel like you'd want full vibe. Stop. Not just decently edgy vibes. Stopped. <laughs> Fair. Okay. This is why we're not in marketing. Right. That's one reason. Here's what we're going to do. Is there a chance we're going to try to wrap this in like 12 to 13 minutes? That's all you have. So, you know, it also means in the interest of time, I'm not going to get up and go get another beer because I have some whistle pig right in front of me. That seems more convenient. So I'm going to have some of that. And what do you want to tell us briefly about apparel? Yeah, it's not like I spent four years of my life right. dedicated to it. Um, well, basically, I've been using a lot of new outerwear and mid-layers and, well, basically head-to-toe stuff. Um, few standout pieces. Recently got the North Face's, they call it the ACAD Future Light jacket. Um, it's, I, it's technically, I think, their snowboarding-oriented jacket. Anyway... Really nice fabric. It's pretty burly, yeah. but supple and has a light flannel backer on it. So definitely more of a resort-oriented piece. Um, but a nice sturdy fabric, a very nice long but not super baggy fit. Nice feature set. Overall, I think it looks really cool. It's, it's very comfortable. Jacket. Yeah. And I think, I mean, <laughs> the the tough test this year has been that 
we haven't really been able to test water resistance very much up until this past weekend. Um, but so like I used it on some storm days, it was totally fine. But yeah, I think that's going to be one of my go-to resort jackets this year. On the far less expensive side, got a new jacket from Montec. Um, they're still a relatively new brand to the U.S., but the short story is that they make, in my opinion, very different and cool-looking outerwear that costs typically about half or less than half as much as most of the other competitors. They don't make a ton. They, I don't think they make any three-layer shells right now. A lot of their stuff is insulated, but for the price, I think it's a phenomenal deal. And they're one of the few companies that's actually taking a different approach to the aesthetic of ski and snowboard apparel, which I'm very excited to see because it can get very monotonous. Um, but anyways, I've been using the Tempest Anorak because Anoraks are cool and it looks cool. It's comfortable. It's like a, it's a soft, kind of a soft shell. It's got a membrane in it that's like 10K rated. So not like super high end, but it costs less than $200. It looks cool. It's comfortable. I think I'll be wearing it a lot, especially in the spring, just on its own because it's got like a fleecy uh, lining. So that's cool. Uh, also still been using the Houdini Shelter Anorak a lot because it looks really cool and it's really comfortable. Uh, you can read my review on the site of that one. Then Nerona, we got a few new pieces from them. Yeah. I Almost every day I've been wearing the new Lofoten Gore-Tex Pro Plus bibs, <laughs> which are mouthful and are very expensive but essentially they're their top of the top of the line bibs have a ton of features but the main story is that they use gore's new gore pro most rugged fabric which is quite burly especially with the face fabric they paired with it i love the fit it has a ton of pockets and almost all of them i use which is nice but mostly i feel like it's going to be a really durable pair of pants and I'm curious to like try it skinning to see if I notice any difference in breathability between GorePro Most Rugged and GorePro Most Breathable, which is actually what regular GorePro yeah. was previously. Right. Um, but anyways, I think they're phenomenal pants. And if like if they hold up as well to a full season of inbound skiing as I think they're going to, I think they're going to basically justify their price more and more because they are they would definitely be an investment but i've been loving them so far and then they they make a jacket version of that but the jacket we have is the regular low phone gore-tex pro jacket um so it uses gore most gore pro most breathable and it's cool uh i like the look of it it is it's on the slimmer side you and i have both worn it but i do like how they have their separate zipper on the front that is just a zipper to open a mesh vent. And that actually expands the uh, neck opening a little bit, which I appreciate because I've been using some pretty bulky like neck warmer things. But I think it looks really sharp. I think the patterning is pretty much spot on for me. I think there are definitely going to be some people who would prefer something uh, a little roomier or just size up. But I'm I'm consistently impressed with their stuff overall. And then the last piece is their Lofoten Primaloft AD Anorak, uh, another Anorak. Dear Lord. And this that, is the worst podcast of all time. Yeah, You've just yeah. talked about three different Anoraks. Yeah, and they're all great. I hate this. Um, but anyways, 
the main story with that is one, so it's a puffy insulator, but it features two layer Gore-Tex over certain areas like the shoulders, the hem and the elbows. Um, and then it uses Primaloft's new cross core insulation, which has aerogel in it, which is like the stuff that NASA used. And it's my first time using it. And so far it's very impressive. It is much warmer than I expected. But the kind of interesting thing is that the way Nerona built it, it's not a super lightweight, super packable jacket. It's not like a Patagonia micro or macro puff. Like it's got a fairly burly construction with a lot of features, but I've been wearing that like to like walking over to HQ from my place, walking to town and it's been getting pretty cold here and I've been very impressed so far. And I think the addition of some Gore-Tex panels on it makes it more appealing to me as sometimes when I'm touring, I don't even bother bringing a shell and I'll just ski down in my puffy and having something with a little bit of true waterproof protection seems more interesting to me and it's really warm. So I think I'll leave it at that. Hey Luke, you talked about Anorak so much that I finished the piggyback. That, I mean, 90% of that was finished before I started talking about it. I have one other thing to say. You know who likes Anoraks? People with messed up hobbit feet who can't tell the difference between good and bad beer. Sure. That's all I have to say on that. That was my least favorite part of the podcast. But to those people who, like you, have messed up feet and can't tell the difference between beer, and so they like anoraks, that was probably riveting information for them. They're probably stoked right now. You think wonder why I won't call in apparel for you. Not anoraks. That was Luke's take. He still likes anoraks. I still think they're dumb. They're dumb, but they're cool. What other things are dumb but cool? Well... I can think of the line blade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. That's a quick answer. It doesn't need to be practical. It just needs to be good. Hmm. You mentioned masks. Let's talk about, oh, I need to say something about apparel. Watch this. I'm going to go fast. I just really like the fit of Flylow stuff. I am five foot, five feet, 10 inches tall, about 175 pounds. Flylow pants in size large and Flylow jackets in size large makes me happy. Case in point, some of you might know that, I don't know, like three years ago, I destroyed myself in a backcountry skiing accident where I tomahawked off a cliff and broke my neck badly. I still mostly ski tour in the pants that I was wearing that day, the Flylo compound pants, despite the fact that they're basically ripped to shreds because I like the fit of them so much. And again, this is saying something because we get a whole lot of different ski pants to test. Um, so I actually, at the start of this season, I am now using, well, two different Flylo pants one, they're insulated pant that's just kind of an inbounds ski resort pant, and I'm using that on cold days, and I love the fit of those. Um, that's the snow pant or the snowman pant? Uh, I think the snowman. Think it's snowman. Yeah. And then I probably am not allowed to say this, but I don't know, and so don't tell Dan Abrams, but I'm also skiing in the, I guess, next year's 
compound bibs, which is a different fabric. The old ones, when I destroyed myself, that was NeoShell. The new compound bibs are an event. It is a burlier fabric for sure. I've only been using them inbounds so far. I'm interested to ski tour in these things to see what I think. I also have not ever been a fan of bibs, but the compound bibs, it is a removable bib. So if you want to just roll in the you know pants and go bibless, you can. But I've actually liked the bibs so far. Mm-hmm. It's a thinner kind of stretchy, I want to say mesh. It's like a soft shell fabric. Soft shell fabric. It's not not the fully waterproof fabric, which which is what I prefer. You prefer? I I prefer that style of construction. That's what the Nerona bibs are as well. Yeah. And it's like, who? why do you need a hard shell bib running up under your jacket? You're obviously not skiing enough deep, pal. Guess not. So anyway, I mostly just like the fit of Flylo stuff. And the other piece I'll mention is I've been skiing in their Albert jacket, which is just an insulated jacket, but it doesn't feel stupid bulky. Mm-hmm. And again, like especially on cold days, I just, I like the, the freedom, the range of movement in both the jacket and the pants. Um, so that's been kind of my thing for the moment. Okay. I'm going to bring up one more apparel thing because I don't think I talked long enough before. Oh my God. Uh, we Sorry, recently everyone. got... A kit from Bonfire, who is a snowboarding yeah. outerwear company. And it's really interesting because it's made of Polartec Neo Shell, which we... Is this your Eurosties That's kit? my full light gray kit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's interesting, especially because it's... They paired Neo... Or they made the Neo Shell with a pretty burly overall construction. Like, it's not a super light fabric like those old fly low pieces were like the old compound and I think genius it was, but it's a super comfortable construction. The fabric is like, I would like, <clears throat> I haven't been in a Neo shell piece in a little bit. The last one was the old strafe pyramid, but it's just really supple. Like does not like we have a lot of soft and supple hard shells now, but I think Neo shell is still a step above most of those in terms of comfort. And we got it in matching all light gray slash white jacket and pants, which looks awesome. It kind of does. Yeah. I agree with, agree with you the, on that one. The pants are a little, they're not actually that skinny, but when you're going fast, they look really skinny <laughs> as you'll see in some photos. But anyway, super comfortable. I am very interested to skin in it because it's been a little while since I've been in Neo Shell, but... Like, I know I loved it for yeah. backcountry skiing. It is interesting that the bonfire kit's a little on the heavier end. Um, so I feel like I'm maybe more interested in the pants as a backcountry option because I wouldn't be throwing them in a pack at any point. And then the one downside for people like me who ski is that because it's a snowboard-oriented kit, the pants do not have that reinforced area on yeah. the inside of the leg. And I'm someone who is constantly hitting my skis together and doing stupid little shifty things and scraping everything with my ski edges. So that's a downside for skiers. I personally, I'm just going to find some Cordura and sew it to it probably, but I'm really liking it over uh, so far. And I think Sam Shaheen is also going to be trying it um, Mm -hmm. and he's going to be touring more than I am for now. Um, So anyways, we're psyched to be testing Neo Shell again. That's for sure. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier. 
we should spend just a couple minutes talking about masks since that is a key word for skiing pretty much everywhere i think if you're skiing in bounds uh, i think a lot of places are requiring masks mm-hmm. um thoughts on that yeah so for the most part i've been using we got a pair of anon's new m4 goggles they came out with a new set of a new whole lens range this year they're doing their own proprietary i think they're called perceived lenses they're high contrast um kind of what you'd expect for a high-end lens. Anyway, I've been using the M4 with a few of their different, um, they call them MFI accessories. Um, But essentially, the Anon M-series goggles and the Sync, which we've also been using, have magnets in them that you use to swap the lenses, but those magnets also will connect to magnets in their face masks. And especially for this year, that has turned out to be a really nice system Yeah. because when I'm away from people or when I'm skiing, I can just pull it down. It's super easy. But as soon as I get close to people or get to a lift line, I can just pop it up and it, while it's technically not seamless, like air is not getting through that connection. Not all air. Are you going to give me COVID, Lou? I can't feel it coming through when I'm skiing is what I meant to say. But anyway, that has been really nice rather than trying to like shove a mask up over my nose and under my goggles every time. Um, But it is, it's a new thing to kind of figure out the best system. Like the masks will fog up with the ones I've been using and then they will freeze uh, when I pop them down. And so it's been like an interesting thing to kind of experiment with. It's kind of like experimenting with like a new pair of boots or something like that. But I've been liking that system a lot so far. And we should be trying some new alternatives soon, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... You know, I've kind of just been doing standard face mask stuff. And, you know, it's... Frankly, the first thing I'll say is it's fine. Like it's fine. Like on cold days anyways, I think a lot of us ski in a mask and it's not doing anything different. Um, but some of, you know, we did a gear 30 podcast conversation with outdoor research talking about some of the masks that they have been developing. Um, and including one that has a filter in it which effectively provides the same level of sort of protection as an n95 mask minus protection from blood so if i was gonna like take a chainsaw to luke i'd need to be careful wearing the outdoor research mask but um they now have their uber tube and a balaclava out and um, will soon, I think, have out a bandana. And so, I mean, tis the season, right? And so I think we should be getting at least the Uber tube and the balaclava pretty soon here, and we'll get the bandana when we get the bandana. But I think it is the right time for us to be sifting through some of the various options that are out there and letting you all know what we've found to protect to work particularly well or whatever. I'm super curious about the, the Anon system. Yeah, I, I love it. And mostly I just want to try, they make a lot of different 
accessories. Right now I have the one that comes stock with the M4, which is like a pretty thick soft shell. Um, and I like, I will only use that on the absolute coldest days. And then I got a, it's their over the, over a helmet hood, but I don't use the hood. Um, it just like, it serves as like a fleecy neck warmer. And then the part that actually attaches to the goggles is just like a, a Jersey knit. Um, I think double layer fabric. That's a little bit, a little bit more breathable than the soft shell one. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been a huge fan so far. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to trying some other options. Um, they have, yeah, they have some like open mesh style stuff. They have some super thick, like super warm options as well. So yeah, we'll be trying those out. I think our work here is almost done. You have one more thing, Luke, uh, regarding masks. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to bring up that even before like ski season or anything, masks made i think everyone realize how bad their breath smells ah. um and one product that i'm gonna be using again we talked about it in our how to care for your yeah. outdoor apparel article it's a brand called defunkify they make like a general sort of tech wash that is designed to get like keep odor away for longer um for especially for like synthetic fabrics and then they also make a wash that's um not just like a detergent but actively like it has some silver in it i believe actively trying to keep stuff from smelling for longer so i think i'm going to be getting a lot of that and just treating not only all my masks with it but all like all my base layers and stuff because i hate doing laundry so check it out if if you're also finding the same issues as I am. It's that time. Let's talk about what we're celebrating this week. What do you um, got, Luke? For me, I part of the reason I really like this time of year is because so the lift stopped running at four and it gets the sun sets at about like <laughs> four forty five right now. I was totally gonna go do down this road no oh. keep going i love it because it's golden hour for photos for about two hours during the time that the lifts are running which makes it really easy to shoot cool looking photos and that's part of my job that i enjoy the most is taking photos so yeah doing last runs down international and stuff on the north and west side of Crested Butte Mountain Resort. I really, really enjoy that. Okay. I was actually going to go a bit of a different direction on that one. I was going to celebrate the fact that the, we're almost, <laughs> almost at the, over. <laughs> yeah, we're almost at the stupid end of things getting dark this early. And what is it? December 21st is... 21st or 22nd. I don't know. Is like the shortest day of the year. And I don't know. I, while I agree with Luke, like the afternoon shooting is super cool and the light is amazing. I'm ready to like, let's get longer days. And yeah, uh, I don't really care about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I am celebrating this week is Christmas presents that arrive early. <laughs> oh, especially when those Christmas presents are just food 
because I kind of have a thing like with my family, like I just tell them like, I'm good. I thank you so much. I, I don't really need anything. I was talking to my mom the other day and she's like, well, I know you say no gifts, but we sent you no gifts and, and she's, but we sent you food and that box actually arrived today and I opened it cause I don't have any food and haven't been to the grocery store in quite a while. And so I was like, I feel like this is fair. Like maybe ethically I should wait to open this box. But I was like, if, if it's food and I'm starving, I feel like I put it to good use. And so I'm, you know, there's coffee. I have coffee. I, well, I, ha- I have whiskey. We're out of this bottle, but I've got some more of that. We have beer, but in terms of actual sort of caloric solid food, things were getting real low. So uh, I'm grateful for Christmas presents that arrive early that contain food in them. That's what I got. Yeah, that reminds me. My mom said I was supposed to check my P.O. box yesterday or today, which I didn't do. (laughs) You should probably do that tomorrow. There was like a 15-person line out the door. So I I like drove by. I was like, nope, sorry. (laughs) I hope it doesn't go bad. Um, I'm cutting us off. Because we said we'd be quick. That wasn't yeah, that we were so quick. That wasn't that quick. But uh, we covered a lot of ground. And I'm sorry for all the anorak talk. I hope you went and did something productive during that. But you did learn about the fact that stock elastic booster straps may be coming to more boots near you in the near future. And that, my friends, is also worth celebrating. And on that note, it's a wrap. Thanks, Luke. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. And if you are enjoying these conversations, except, of course, for all of the talk about anoraks, I'm sorry for that. But if you are enjoying the rest of the conversations that we're having, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 and leave us that five-star rating in iTunes. And don't be a jerk. Tell your friends about Gear 32. Now, I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everyone else, and we will talk to you again real soon.